Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Fuji Love Podcast. This is the show that is brought to you by Fuji Love Magazine. For the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm, X Series, or GFX related, head on over to Fujilove.com. And, of course, this show is all about the great photographers who love to use the Fujifilm camera system. But this week is a little bit different in that we have Fred Ranger on the show today. Fred Ranger, you may know him from Fuji Love's YouTube channel. And check out his great interviews that he does for for the YouTube channel there. Uh, he also has uh, an amazing podcast as well as his own YouTube channel where he reviews his own gear, whether it's Fujifilm, Leica, all sorts of cool uh, cameras. This week, we are talking about the Fujifilm Summit that happened uh, not too long ago. Uh, as of this recording, about five or so days ago. And this is our reaction to the announcements. So... Without further ado, let's go right into that. Loving your channel. I, I, Thank I'm you. Sorry it took me so long to, to, to find it. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's really cool. Um, I got to say, the I, I've seen your work before uh, prior to seeing your YouTube channel. Uh, mm-hmm. The thing that I've seen... I don't know if it was Instagram, but or or my buddy sent me a link to your stuff. It's your Lego photos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's always one of the. Um, if people don't know about it when they do see it, that tends to be the one that kind of sticks. Yeah, it, it just you have such a great style of. Uh, I mean, they're essentially little portraits, but mm-hmm. the way you use negative space in, in in your little uh mini fig portraits it's just very charming very cool and it, like it, it's just such a memorable photo like I, I i don't know when i saw them but i remember seeing them <laughs> yeah totally yeah uh, so i am speaking with reggie balestros am i saying that right Ballesteros. Ballesteros. I almost got that. One <laughs> <laughs> sure. syllables. Um, he is an amazing photographer out West. He is, uh, uh, an, I mean, absolutely stunning wedding and portrait photographer. But if you watch his YouTube channels uh, at uh, Reggie Ballesteros on, on YouTube, the simple name is that. Um, yeah. You can also type in uh, youtube.com slash Reggie B photo. A little that bit is easier much easier yeah. to spell. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you do excellent street work. You're, you're the way you play with the Fuji colors and now the, the Rico camera colors mm-hmm. is just absolutely, uh, uh, it's an absolute must watch. Uh, so glad to have you on the show. Finally. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, so kind of going into, uh the the camera systems that you're using uh what do you primarily use for your your professional work so that's a a little bit of an interesting answer nowadays because as of last year like towards the beginning of last year in 2023 
I photographed my last wedding. Um, so I'm transitioning out of wedding and event professional work. Um, oh, really? So I really slimmed, yeah. So I really slimmed down a lot of my gear in that sense. Um, well, not too much. I still have quite a bit, but it's uh, now I really have like a lot of options based on kind of what I'm doing in terms of content or documenting uh, my family. Um, and I still have some reserve gear for portrait shoots with uh, families or creating content for brands and things like that. Yep. Um, but the main bodies that I'm using right now is the Fujifilm X-T5. That's my interchangeable lens camera that I'm using for a lot of still work. Um, and then I have the XS20, which is now my workhorse camera for uh, YouTube content for filming and also kind of like a B cam for doing any photography still work. And then um, I have the Ricoh GR3 and the GR3X. And that was mainly just to experiment with another system outside of the Fujifilm system to kind of see what's actually out there. Yeah. Um, and kind of challenge myself to, to use a different menu, a different, you know, color science. Um, and that opened up a lot of kind of different skills for me especially in terms of uh, photographing in aperture priority. Like that was the thing that I learned how to do aperture, aperture priority on because I was mainly shooting in manual um, since like 2013 to 2023, like photographing in manual 100% all the time. Oh, wow. But the Ricoh cameras don't really let me manipulate the settings as I do in the Fujifilm because they don't have as many dials. Yeah. So it just forced me to do that. Um, so that's what I use those for. Those are, you know, my everyday pocket cameras and I also use them for photo walks and things like that. And my new favorite camera that I've been using, well, it's actually, it's not new. Um, the Fujifilm X70. So I bought the X70 back in 2016 when it got released mm -hmm. and I use it for like two and a half years. That was my first Fujifilm camera in addition to the X100S. Yeah. And and then I sold it to my dad, thinking that he would just keep it around. And then I find out when I wanted to buy it back from him, he had sold it off for like an XT20. So I was like, oh my god, I can't, I can't get the X70 back. So um, I was photographing with a lot of different Fujifilm cameras, and then finally, I think two a year and a half or two years ago, I bought um, kind of like a like like new X70 again, and it's been. I've been really enjoying it, especially now that I'm transitioning fully over to using JPEGs. Um, it's really been able to be like my everyday camera that I can use for everything yeah. at this point, uh, because I really live in that 28 millimeter field of view. It's a great, great flexible range. And yeah. it, 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 it it's with with that particular camera in general like it it is really nice and that was the first fuji camera that was allow, allowing you to use a digital zoom if i recall correctly i think for some reason i don't know how to turn it on i think you have to turn off raw all the way to do the digital yeah, zoom. yeah. and i'm i'm still kind of like always just for that archival purpose like keeping on to the raw plus jpeg like i i don't even touch the raws but hmm. I still just keep it on because I'm like, you know, what if I want to reprocess it or whatever? Um, but yeah, it, it, it does have the digital zoom on it, which I, I always see it, but I'm like, how do I, how do I actually use it? Um, I don't remember. <laughs> it's been so long since I used that camera. Yeah. 
um it, it's a camera that i only got to rent i never got to own it it, it had such a short lifespan but it, yeah and i and it was a shame that it never had any true successor i know a lot of people talk about oh the xf10 is is a good replace but if you look at the way that that camera is set up it doesn't have a tilt screen it doesn't have a shutter speed dial um the, there's just a lot of things that are kind of you know streamlined out of it i think it to make it more of an accessible camera for as as a true point and shoot yeah but the x70 is just at least for me that it it's just the perfect camera for this season of life and the, the season of my career because I'm no longer needing like a 1.4 or F2. Um, I've also fully embraced the JPEG workflow. So any type of artifacts or defects that I'm finding within Lightroom processing, I don't have to worry about it anymore. I'm just yep. fully in JPEG and doing all the work that I did to kind of develop my own film simulation recipe system on the X100 and the uh, X-T3, I was able to port it over to the X70 and find something that really fits. So I'm like set. And it's just this year, I'm just forcing myself to, to bring it with me every single day and take at least one photo every day, even if it's like kids and stuff and work is just super bogged down. I'm still just trying to pull it out just to take one photo, just to kind of really work it into like the everyday documentation. and it's it's just really the the perfect camera for how i photograph because yeah. of the tilt screen for me i actually photograph like 90 percent with the lcd uh, a lot of people like you know they love the viewfinder of like the x100s or the x pros for me it's like i love shooting low angle all the time and i'm not gonna kneel down on the ground <laughs> so the tilt screen is like really essential for how i shoot so i basically treat it like it's a little waist level viewfinder basically totally uh, how is it so you you, you used the the xt5 uh, the 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 newest sensors how did it feel going back to the x-trans 2 sensor i actually like uh, it a lot <laughs> the, the, i feel like the xt5 sensor has a little bit more punch to it yep um so going from the xt3 and the x100v which have the same sensor i feel like it was a, it was a good middle ground for me to kind of work with and develop the it's called Reggie's portrait. I didn't actually name it. Um, Richie, the person who, who runs Fuji X weekly is the one who named my color film simulation recipe, but that one, it took me like a year or so to develop on the X 100 V. And I feel like going to the XT five, it looks pretty much similar, but it does feel like it's a little bit more saturated and contrasting. Like it's just got a little bit more punch which you can always kind of modulate based on the exposure of the image. Uh, you can make it a little bit more pastel if you, you bump up the exposure. But on the X-Trans 2, it just does something right. I don't know what it is. It, it just feels like it's not as like linear of a contrast curve or something. Like the skin tones just a little feel a little bit softer. And yeah. I do feel that it has this this kind of like softer contrast or, or maybe like highlight roll off that is a little bit softer that just feels a little bit more organic i, I mean it, it's always like that that cheesy word that everybody throws you know character organic and all these things but it, it really <laughs> does like after going back to it after using these the x-trans 4 and up for 
what was it like since 2018, like 2018 to 2023, I was using it for professional work. And then going to the X-Trans 2 last year, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like I had to bump up the contrast just a little bit in my, the recipe that I made for the X70. And after I figured that out, it's like, it's probably the one camera that I can get a JPEG out that really doesn't really need anything done to it. Yeah. There's just some, I agree with you. There, there is some intangible thing quality that that the x trends 2 still has and for me it, it, in my eyes I, I always thought it did something really unique with the the color blue like it, yes, yeah. it and it just gave this overall interesting it, it, sharpness softness like i don't know if yeah. it can be yeah, both yeah. But yeah, it, uh, like w- when I had the uh, the XE uh, XE two, and then uh, I, I was borrowing the the X seventy. I, I took a lot of pictures with my cat uh, w- w- with the X seventy. Um, but with the XE two, I-, I remember this was the period where I was in between my Canon and Fuji phase. Uh, not quite transitioned into Fuji yet, but uh, whenever I photographed photos with my Canon, they were they were good. They they were, I, I would say, it, looking back at it now, is very clinical. But when photographing with the Fuji, it was like just gave it that great pop. Yeah, yeah. For uh, me, it's like the classic Chrome on the X Trans Two looks a lot different than it yes. does on the, the, the newer sensors. Agreed. And I don't think it's quite, in my opinion, it hasn't quite uh, recap, rekindled that need to photograph uh, classic Chrome, unless I'm doing a film simulation of some other recipe. Um, yeah. I got to say also, your your, uh, your uh, Reggie portrait, I have that on my uh, uh, XE4. Uh, I, yes. I, I, uh, I installed that right after I, uh, uh, sent you the email request to, to, an mm-hmm. interview. um, and, and I love it. It, it, it is awesome. It, it's a great recipe that can be used indoors and outdoors. Yeah. Um, that was my main, my main requirement for the recipe was I understand, you know, based on the true to life of you know, film photography to have like white balance locked film simulation recipes. But for me, it's my, my whole reason for at least the, I I made it an X 100 V is it was going to be my indoor, outdoor nighttime, whatever time to photograph my family. And I needed it to be quick because I had little toddlers. And then I also needed to just be able to be agnostic to any of the lighting. And what I found is, the white balance, the auto white balance, like especially on the X Trans Four and up, is like it's probably the best in the industry. Because when I went over to the Rico and I tried to dial in a recipe, I realized that once I went indoors, it just couldn't hang. It would be like too tungsten. Yeah. So I didn't realize how spoiled I was with the auto white balance <laughs> of Fujifilm. So I was like, man, okay, this this makes me kind of worried about switching over to any others. And I've heard even like Leica is not as good in terms of auto white balance as Fujifilm. So that's, that's the main reason why I have it that way. It's not, 
I think I've gotten a few comments are like, oh, this doesn't look like, you know, true Kodak portrait. And it's not supposed to be because it's not going to be daylight balance. And it's meant to be, it's more of like, in a way, like a, a hybrid type of look that kind of looks like film. But yeah. it's really more for those people who want to be able to have it be used in any situation. Because that's what I use it for. Yes. And you, you got the spirit of it. That, that's mm-hmm. the important part. What what is it like to use the the Rico cameras? Like how is how is that uh, experience going right from Fujifilm to to trying out this camera? Like what were the major differences that you noticed right off the bat, apart from size? Yeah. Um, so there are, there are a few quirks that that I found. Like o- overall, this the experience is very good. I would say, and the lenses are super sharp. And I think the way that they have the camera set up is in terms of controls is pretty much everything I do need, but I I wish there was a way to just map ISO to the little dial in the back instead of having to press a button and then change the ISO. Yeah. Um, But the biggest differences that I found is were two major ones and there were two that make me, or no, sorry, three. So first the tilt screen, there's no tilt screen. So I find myself really having difficulty photographing in the way that I typically do, like Mm -hmm. low angle or high angle shots. I can't really see what's going on. Um, And then that makes me have to like turn up the brightness of the LCD to like see. And that I actually like to lock my LCD brightness in a certain level. That's like the same brightness as my monitor at home. Like I'm that, I'm that specific. Like all my cameras I have, I, I calibrate my monitor and then I hold up a photo on both the computer monitor and my camera and make sure they're the same brightness. That's how I like really try to dial in that. What I see on my camera is what it's going to be close to in the computer with a Rico there. I I can't, I have it on auto. I I tend to mess up my exposure here and there. Exactly. Yeah. Especially on this is for the JPEG workflow. Cause I think if people are listening along with raw, it's not too much. It, It doesn't make a big difference, but what I found is on the JPEG workflow, you really have to dial in your EVF brightness and your LCD brightness so that because you're going to be locked in in the dynamic range a little bit tighter, you have to really get that right. On the Ricos, I end up underexposing the image a lot, which is, I mean, it, it's savable uh, because I'm not blowing out the highlights. Mm-hmm. But I think first, the tilt screen was a big adjustment. The auto white balance is still something I've never figured out. But the biggest annoyance that I had is there's no preview exposure on and off. Really? So it's yeah, like if you put on a flash, it just makes you compose with it completely dark. So it's it's kind of odd because like when I photograph with flash, I underexpose by at least two stops for the for the the light ratios to be right and you just can't do anything. So I think that was the biggest thing was like um for me, I'm very well versed in flash because of all my wedding photography experience. So even kid's birthday party, like going to Disneyland, I, I'm able to like go in and out of using flash very quickly, but with the Rico was kind of awkward too. Yeah. But I think the biggest thing that I did, I did like though, was that the colors had a different look to them. So mm-hmm. it wasn't, I, I tried my best to make it match Fuji, but then it has this own character in its own. Like it, the blues have a, have a nice like boldness to it that also when you overexpose I think it gets closer to the blue of Portra than the Fujifilm does. Um, And it's just super sharp. 
So I think that's the other thing. If you're looking for a very punchy, like sharp look, it's something that I, I wasn't able to actually recreate with Fujifilm. Um, when you did your video, w- w- the the comparison uh, showing, you, you did like 26 photos or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, some w- were taken with the X-T5, some were taken with the Ricoh. And you let the audience uh, try to guess which which ones were which. I found that the Rico photos. I don't know if it's just because of what you were photographing, but it does something really nice with the red tones. Yeah, yeah, I, and it's that also has to do with the specific film simulation that I was using in the Rico. It's called negative film simulation. Okay, um, which it 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 takes the red and it almost turns it orange. So I have to do a lot of adjusting on the tweaking of that film simulation to try to bring it back to like somewhat of a red so that uh, skin tones are rendered properly. But it is, I would say when you're shooting like real film, you know how the skin tones and the colors are always a little bit just off. Um, But that's what gives the film its character. I feel like on Rico, that negative film simulation really does have that. It's like, you, you're not gonna, you cannot make it look like accurate skin tones. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like classic Chrome, you can, you can have it get pretty close and then still have the blues look like muted. Yeah. Uh, on that one, it's, you kind of just have to lean in like, okay, this is going to be super saturated or I got to overexpose it to make it look like pleasant on the skin. That's the one thing it's, I felt like the dynamic range or at least however I set the dynamic range on the camera was not as uh, forgiving on that camera. So I either had to overexpose or I had to bring it down super pu- like, like a low key type of photo. I mean, they're, they're, they're still phenomenal. Uh, like uh, I love your uh, street photography. I love the photos that you do in Disneyland with your family. Uh, yeah. th- those are some of the, I- I've rewatched some of those uh, j- just because the way you captured the, neon lights uh i think in the cars section um is just really cool um and uh you use the oh what what is it the you use a filter now uh the i can't remember the brand oh uh it's a moments in a bloom filter that that's the one i i i I kept thinking of the the promist filter and i couldn't get that out of my head yeah yeah, oh. the, and it's the the black promise actually retains contrast a little bit better in the shadows, but for me, um, I think I just kind of started going a little bit more heavier handed on the, the softness of it, um, in terms of how I make my photos look. And then always, I think even when I go back to photographing clients, I had a family shoot a couple months ago. I take the Cinebloom filter off because it's like, oh, you know. It's, it's a little bit too much, yeah. but I think for, for personal photos and especially at nighttime, um, it, it just really transforms how those night photos look. Yep. Whereas I think that was one of the biggest things is people were able to point out like, oh, it's easy to tell which one wasn't the Rico because they don't have bloom filters on it, which <laughs> is uh, because I didn't have an adapter at the time for, for that camera. But um there was actually a shoot that I did or, or like a photo set that I did with a 20% Cinebloom on the Rico. And because the Rico is so contrasty, the 20% really 
creates a, a unique look that's really pleasant and kind of unexpected for that camera. Um, even in daytime, like it's almost like too, too washed out, but it just looked super cool. Like it was basically, I went over to relative's house. They had a swimming pool. So I was documenting my kids kind of like playing around in the pool and it just really has, it screams like the summertime, like chill, like hot day vibes. Um, yeah. That, that it's probably some of my favorite photographs that I've taken across any camera um, is I was using a Cinebloom 20%. So it's like super strong halation on a Ricoh GR3. Yeah. Kind of gives it that old film quality. Yeah. So you mentioned that uh, you were kind of uh, ceasing the, 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 the wedding portrait stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. What, uh, what do you, what are you transitioning to? So I'm actually working full time now um, in, I work in tech. So I'm, I'm basically doing development uh, support for, for a, I'm not going to say it specific, but it, it's basically a, a popular uh, like mobile phone. It's not iPhone. Yeah. So it's not iPhone, but basically I do uh, photography development support for um, the, the camera app as well as the, the phone camera and also um, editing the in-app editing for that particular phone. That is so, yeah. Yeah. So it was a very interesting opportunity that I honestly didn't realize this job existed, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it really encompasses my entire background because I was an engineer for five or six years. And then I transitioned to wedding photography um, and then also doing some education on YouTube on the side. And this job kind of encompasses all those skill sets, being able to, you know, understand what a beginner photographer might be thinking or might, the mistakes they're making, as well as um, having that analytical and detail oriented kind of eye to notice quality defects in the specific camera system or the post-processing of the image. And then also being able to carry out photography assignments to test out the, the robustness of the camera system on the phone. So it's, 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 it's a dream job. So that's basically why I moved over to, to call it done. Also, I think the other big motivator of the decision is just my, both my kids are in school. Um, yeah. so I didn't want the two days that they were, you know, really home for me to be off photographing a wedding. That sounds like, uh, I mean, first your, your, <clears throat> excuse me, your, your dream job sounds like an awesome time. I would love to ask you more questions, but again, I don't want to get you in trouble with your, uh, <laughs> yeah. so we'll, we'll leave it at that. It sounds like a, j just a baller of a time. It, it sounds amazing. Uh, and, and kudos to you for that. Uh, but my God, it, it, what what a disappointment for couples because your wedding photography is phenomenal. It is yeah. your your portraitures have this uh, again the, this contrast but softness to them that that really really sticks out. And yeah, it, 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 it's it's great work. Um, but but congratulations to you. Um, Thank you. When you, you said you were an engineer prior to being a wedding photographer, how did you make that switch? <laughs> it, it was not a easy switch. So 
basically in 2012, I graduated with a mechanical engineering degree and I got a job shortly after that. Um, and me and my wife got married around 2014. So it was kind of, you know, just no kids at the time where we I was doing both uh, weddings and my, my day job uh, during the week for mm-hmm. until from 2013 to 2019, I was doing both. Um, and when my kids started entering the picture, it just got too much. Uh, so that was kind of the time when I had to figure out how to go full time. And luckily, my wife um, was able to have an opportunity that was able to get a little bit more income. So it wasn't just me fully, you know, deciding to like support my family with wedding photography. It was kind of a partnership financially. Yeah. Um, and that allowed me to stay home with the kids so she could focus on her career and really go full out. And then I was at home being <clears throat> a stay at home dad with, <clears throat> with my kids from uh, 2019 all the way to 2022. So um, that was kind of what that, how that kind of worked out. And the, the one thing that was really interesting was in, I quit my engineering job in 2019. I had, a whole season lined up in 2020 and oh, that was yeah. when the pandemic hit. So I had to figure out what the hell I'm going to do. This is my first year trying to do this full time and the world just, you know, that at least the wedding industry got turned upside down. So that was interesting. And that's kind of what led me to start creating more content and kind of experimenting with creating courses and preset packs and all those things. So we'll get into your channel in, in just a minute because that, uh, yeah, that, that is fascinating. Um, and being in California, the pandemic must've been, uh, it, that you guys had harsh rules. Yeah. Yeah. Basically every single, every single event was closed down. So, um, I don't think I started photographing weddings until like 2021, like the, so it was a yeah. I basically every single wedding got rescheduled. Yeah. Um. I think I don't think anybody canceled it, but it was it was really tough to to figure that out. Um. I I don't have too many memories. Of it. I probably blocked it out because it was so stressful. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So it, during that time, I think not only me but all wedding photographers kind of like found something else to kind of take up their time at that point. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It was, it was nuts. Um, uh, I'll, I'll briefly share this. Uh, I've already shared this many times on, on the show, but, uh, here in where, where I am at, uh, I'm in Massachusetts, right on the border and uh, of New Hampshire and on the Massachusetts side, very strict rules, very locked down. Uh, th- there was, uh, j- just so many rules you had to adhere to, to even have any kind of event once events mm. were allowed to happen. And then on the New Hampshire side, everyone was partying like it was 2019. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was yeah. such a juxtaposition to be on that borderline and, and see the difference. It was crazy. Totally. Yeah. And but, it, it's crazy. Cause I actually have, um, there during when I was photographing weddings, I, I had my GoPro, kind of just on my shoulder for a lot of the weddings that I still don't have any videos 
created about those weddings. So there, there is a potential that I may create some like backlog behind the scenes content to, to teach people kind of the ins and outs and the type of lighting situations they encounter. But yeah. like there was a wedding that I actually posted a, a couple months ago on my YouTube channel and there's people still wearing masks. So even though it's like 2023, the, the actual footage was from 2020. <laughs> um, so you'll see that a lot probably in like videos that trickle in these days or like footage here and there. That's amazing. So back when you first started with engineering and then uh, you, you were doing photography on the side around that time, how, how did you get into photography to begin with? What was, what was that? Uh, what, what, when did you start like your interest in, in, in uh, mm-hmm. photography? So I actually was never interested in photography to start with, but when I was dating my wife at the time, she had an interest in photography and we were still very young, 18 years old. Uh, we went to college um, on opposite ends of the state. So I was all the way down south in San Diego and she was in um, up more up north in like the San Jose area. And the first summer back, because uh, we grew up in the same town, she wanted to take a photography class at a community college. And I, I signed up too. So I could just hang out with her every day without my parents thinking I was just doing whatever, like oh, I'm taking a <laughs> class. <laughs> so it was during that film photography, it was a black and white film photography class. Um, the teacher was doing a demo and she exposed uh, some photo paper with, with an enlarged negative and she dipped it in the in the little in the chemicals and then out was a picture and i was like wow i'm hooked like i need to learn how to do this like it was like pure magic yeah. uh, to see that happen and ever since then uh because of that class and then also just my interest is my interest in electronics and technology um going getting into photography was kind of like not a surprise to me and my dad had a Nikon D200 that he was able to let me kind of learn on. And then from there, I started just, you know, <laughs> like, I think like everybody, ge- 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 yeah, geeking out on cameras. And I think you'll find that there is a trend that like, how do people start getting into professional photography? It tends to be because they bought so much stuff <laughs> that they need to figure out how to actually use it for something. So that's how I kind of like went into to weddings. It, it kind of coincided when we were planning and getting married as well. That was kind of how I transitioned into wedding photography. How was your first gig? Like what, what did you have for your first, uh, for your first wedding? Besides, uh, Oh, for that, for that particular wedding was a, that was a D 600. I had a D 600 and a D 610 that I rented. Nice. Um, that was what I was photographing. Yeah, so I, I, when I started my professional photography, I was actually shooting full-frame Nikon all the way up until 2018. Um, and then once the X-T3 got released and they had full sensor coverage for the autofocus, that was when I was like, okay, I'm ready to, to shift over. And that was why I started my YouTube channel also was because uh, that'd be interesting to just document the fact that I'm transitioning over. Um, so that was kind of what got it. It's initial kind of like push in the beginning. What was that spark to switch to uh, Fujifilm? It was one, because I, I was starting to, to 
document my family. So I wanted a way to have video. Um, and I also wanted to, I felt like I was at a point where I knew my way around lighting and editing and things like that, that I wasn't really reliant on the full dynamic range spectrum of a full frame sensor. So I just convinced my wife, it's like, hey, if I sell everything, I can buy a full Fujifilm system and make three grand. So can I do this? <laughs> that was kind of like how that conversation, and she was like, fine, just do whatever you want. You're going to do it anyways. <laughs> so I was just, you know, so that was what it, what happened. So then I basically got two XC3s. I think at the time I had like a 16 1.4, 23 1.4, 56 1.2, and then a 90. Um, so that was kind of what I shifted over to. And then, yeah, basically, if you start, if you watch my YouTube videos from like 2018 to like 2020, you can see kind of like the development of the kit. Because a lot of my example photos back at the time were engagement shoots or uh, weddings. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that was that was kind of how it happened. I think <laughs> it's it's I think for me, a lot of my rationale back then was. I wanted to challenge myself um, similar to putting, you know, putting the game on like hard mode. Like I just knew that shallow depth of field, a lot of flexible dynamic range in the raw files was just, I don't know. It, it, it just felt like I was ready to just put some barriers and constraints because those constraints and making me kind of like think more creatively because you know it's it's less forgiving to to just you've seen all those photos where people take shoot a, a Sony photo like a black frame and like look what I can do I can push it back up I'm like but you're purposely making the mistake so I wanted to be able to tighten up my skills yeah. with composition and lighting by using a crop sensor um, because you know I can't just blur out something with like extreme shallow depth of field and I can't just take black frames all day and just push them up and post. Like I wanted to be able to start photographing like correctly, like, I, or like the way that I intend to. And I think that's what was able to build the foundation for me to now start shooting just JPEG in general. Yeah. It's a great feeling to, to get it right in camera. And yeah. then you feel even better when you don't have to do as much post processing. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me too is this feedback loop is is tightened up and it helps me to be a lot more creative because now it's at a point where what I see on the camera is what I'm actually going to get. It's not like I I used to be annoyed when I had like, I'll take a photo and then you show it to your friend because you're excited because you knew you got it. But then you're like, oh, but it's not edited yet. Like yes. I hated saying that. And now it's like, I take the photo and I show my, my sister-in-law and she's like, oh, that's cool. And then, she gets a, a notification on her phone. I sent it to her. Like it's done. Like, it's you know done. what I mean? I don't have to do anything else. Like I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to not have to deal with the, don't worry. I have to edit it still. I'll, you know, stay up at like 12 midnight the day after like a kid's party to try to get all the photos of my niece together. Like I don't have to do that anymore, which is very, very nice. It is such a time saver. It, it, it's, it's a great feeling when, uh, when you were making the switch to Fujifilm, you mentioned that you started your channel right about that time. Uh, what was your original intention with, with the channel? Was it 
all tutorial based or did you have a a, a focus at that point uh, at that point at that point it was i think a lot of the things on my channel were specifically about navigating uh, different specific scenarios of me transitioning to fujifilm so how i set up my camera how i started using flash with it what specific equipment i used a lot of lens reviews um, and then it started getting into more behind the scenes footage of how I was using Fujifilm cameras for specific scenarios. So a very popular one is a, I have an off camera lighting video. It's, I think it's like three years old at this point, but it still gets a lot of views because it's one of the few behind the scenes videos that exist on YouTube in general of someone using uh, two to three off camera flashes and on and two on camera flashes in full manual and actually adjusting everything in real time um a lot of people will tend to do like the mag sphere on top but i i bounce flash so i have to point it in specific directions to get a specific type of light but those are the things that i did in the beginning and then i ended up transitioning toward more just general reviews and more general applications of fujifilm gear um in this particular year, I'm trying to pivot a little bit out of just Fujifilm specific and make it more general photography, which is I'm finding it's actually very difficult because a lot of my follower subscribers signed up because of the Fujifilm specific things. Yeah. So it, it's been a little bit of a growing pain to try to get out of that. Um, but I think for the <clears throat> for the for the the real ethos of why I had the channel. Um, to, to teach people how to become photographers, not in the sense to, to be a professional photographer or whatever, but to really know how to see lighting and composition in your environment and be able to use that as a way to visually express what you see. I, that, that's my ultimate goal, um, is to be able to teach one, one million people to be photographers. Yeah, and it's it, it could be any genre, street photography, weddings, documenting your kids, like... All those things are very useful to have. And I think the one thing I've noticed is once you have that eye, you're able to enjoy a lot of things that people don't even notice. Like I can drive by like a mailbox. I'm like, wow, the light in that mailbox looks so dope. Like, and other people just drive by, you know? Um, So you're able to have bright parts of your day because of some mundane object that just has cool light or a shadow that just hits very quirkily on some other thing and it makes it look like a funny photo or whatever. Like, I think that's the one thing that I've, I really hope to be able to, to like leave like as my legacy on this world is to be able to, to teach people how to enrich their lives through photography and not just taking the photo, but just how to see, how to see these things. You you, you know, it's funny you mentioned that like uh, being a, mostly wedding portrait photographer, I find myself walking in different places and I've spent so much time working with people and positioning them in in, in certain places that I will look at a place and and immediately my brain is looking how to frame a person in in a shot. Same same here. Like, (laughs) yeah. When I walk in a room, especially if it's like a, a family event or something like, you know, for that I'm just, it's a birthday party or whatever. Like if somebody's going to ask me to take a photo, I already know where the, the spot is supposed to be. Oh, like it's over here. Like this yeah. is where the good light and a clean background is. <laughs> like, totally. yeah. 
I kind of, I, I say that it's kind of, if you ever watched Terminator 2 Judgment Day, I don't know if you've seen that movie. I have. But basic, it's a great movie. It, <laughs> yeah. So when he walks, when Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of walks into the bar, he has like, they show like his, his vision, right? He's like scanning all these guys, nope. like a motorcycle, <laughs> this person's like six feet tall, blah, blah, blah. Like that's how I feel like when I walk into any environment, like I've already known where the, all the light sources are, where the windows are, what direction it's going what's a clean background, what could be used as a framing element, like all those things I see. And it's hard to kind of turn it off. And I think it's only when I started becoming a parent that I had to calm it down a little bit because I can't take photos all the time. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be present and you know change some diapers or feed somebody. But um, that's kind of how I, how I see the world. And my ultimate goal is to shift my channel to be able to show more of that to people kind of like illustrate this is what i see can you see it and if you can't like trying to bridge the gap so that people can start seeing the world that way have you seen your vision kind of uh adjust as your uh career is adjusting like no longer are you framing as much in your head but now you're playing with lines or or, or thinking more landscape or or, or abstractly I think the interesting thing is I still compose and photograph very similarly. Mm -hmm. um, it's just maybe there's no person anymore. I think that's what it is. I I was always the the way that I ended up doing my wedding photography in the beginning was I, I don't really like photograph. I don't like interacting with people too much. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, like one of those anxious introverts. So a lot of my initial photography interests or about finding different art architectural elements or cityscapes or things like that. And I realized that most of those photos that I would always take felt kind of a little bit empty, like it needed a person for scale. So then when I transitioned to wedding photography, it's like, oh, look, if I just take this super great landscape and I put the people here very tiny, everyone likes what this photo looks like. And it's me yeah. naturally composing it the way I wanted to. It's just, I just asked them like, okay, walk all the way over here, right? Stand there and just look at each other. And then I did my thing. Um, now that I shifted back out of it, I still feel like things are composed the same. It's just going back to like, now instead of the photo being empty, they're probably my kids. Right. Like in, in that spot. Um, it's just the one thing is I can't, I can't be as uh, meticulous about their positioning because they don't, they don't want to do that. <laughs> So oh, it's, it's more like me, me having like that either chance that it's going to happen or just letting go like, okay, it's going to be a little bit off to what I want it to look like. Yeah. With your channel, now that you're kind of transitioning off of the focus being Fujifilm and more about the, the practice of photography itself, are you going to be experimenting more with different brands? Like right now you have the Rico, but are you thinking of playing around with maybe a Leica or Pentax? The the Leica Q3 is 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 always on my radar. That's that's what I want right now. <laughs> but I do think that in like my heart of hearts, I still think Fujifilm as of right now, as of looking at the landscape of all the systems right now, it's the only thing that does everything that I need it to do. Yeah. In terms of the JPEGs, in terms of the tilt screen, in terms of the aperture ring, in terms of and I think that's the one thing is 
I think the only pivot I'm going to try to do, which which I've been having a hard time to, is like making the thumbnails not just a camera, making the titles not just Fujifilm anymore, and trying to wean away from that a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I think the other thing too is really start teaching actual physical or scientific like photography concepts outside of just how to set up the camera. So like motion blur for or you know different contrast. Uh, outside of just um lighting contrast but you know like focus contrast or 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 different scale or anything like that like that's that's kind of what i want to shift over to but i i do have other friends other youtube creators that have told me that it is once you kind of put yourself in a box it there is a transition period to get out of that box so yeah that that's kind of what i'm looking at right now which is uh i think for me i'm a I'm a person of habit and process and metrics. So me having making this shift without looking at the metrics and trying to not go back to my typical formula that I know that it works is very, it's been a challenging and like uncomfortable scenario. Like my wife is like, stop looking at the metrics. You, you have to just <laughs> trust that this is the vision you want to do. But I'm like, but it did bad. <laughs> it's like, but so it's it's just an interesting yeah like so for example especially for those who are listening um i just i made i i feel is like one of my most favorite youtube videos that i've ever made and it's about my mindset and approach to documenting my family and how i've had to do a lot of adjustments as a photographer as a professional photographer to change my mindset to be able to document them and still stay present in that process um, and it was really, I think it was a really great video. And a lot of people who did watch it, they're like, they, they feel really seen as parents, as, as people who are documenting their loved ones, but the, the views don't match something like X 100 V best film. Show. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you can understand how the algorithm works. Um, you know, who the is, parents were. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you also know <laughs> that, you know, the other people who just came like, well, Reggie knows about the camera. So this isn't about the camera. So we're not going to watch it. Um, and I think that this is actually something that I wanted to chat with you about. Cause I think you kind of hinted at it. I'm like vowing to myself not to get whatever new Fujifilm X100 comes out in order to keep me in line of not having, to, not having to, it's, this is going to be a controversial because if I'm going to say it out here publicly, I better, better hold to it in, in a month's time. But Oh, no, no, no. That's totally fine. Because if you yes. say you're not going to get the X100, uh, uh, the, the, the six, uh, I, I'll have his. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's yeah. totally I, fine. I will have to give it to Mark if I end up buying it. <laughs> <laughs> it is a camera that, so I've got, I'm going to repeat myself, uh, for, for those who've listened to previous episodes, but I regret selling my, uh, X100, uh, uh, Mark five. It mm. is, uh, you know, I, I did it so I could have more focal lengths. Uh, sure, and, yeah. and I bought the, the XE four to be that all encompassing camera. But I find that even though it's a smaller camera, less of a footprint, I don't bring it out with me yeah. just because it's not the X 100. And, yeah. um, yeah, it's, so so when I was ready to buy the X100V again, they were no longer on the shelves. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I bought that when I bought the X100V. It was I, it was I literally got it on the day that it was released. Like I, yeah. I had like pre order. I went to my local store. I got it. Um, and I will say that that specific camera was what kind of unlocked this particular approach that I have now about using film simulations, about being very intentional about photography that doesn't have to be high frames per second, all these things. And also the different genres that I started exploring street photography, night photography, um, even video. Like I, I used to use it for video a lot in terms of like little moments here and there. Yeah. So I think, yeah, that camera is, is special. And I think the one thing is in terms of like whatever successor it has, like I just hope that if, if people want to get it, that they're able to get it uh, yeah. because there's just this odd dynamic right now about it's just a weird it's a weird thing it's like everyone's talking about the camera but no one can buy it and then the the people who buy it are only buying about buying it to talk about the camera so it's 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 an interesting thing that's happening and I, i i am just really trying to not be a part of that for this next camera not because it's i'm sure it will be a great camera but it's just not my focus i don't i don't want to be following a wave uh because i was part of the wave for the x100v i was part of it especially within not youtube but within um tiktok i was actually one of the people who were posting these like viral tiktoks about the camera it was one of them was mine (laughs) (laughs) it's not specifically my fault but it was like i was one of the people so it was just like it, it was very interesting to for people to to tell me like oh you just got the camera because of the hype it's like I brought it when it was released when no one knew about it, <laughs> but it was, uh, but specifically to document my family. So I think, yeah, I don't know. It, it's a, it's a special camera. And I think in terms of form factor, it's probably the perfect camera. I think the only thing that always was like, ah, it's, it's not the perfect camera for me because it was a 35 millimeter instead of 28. Like for me, the 28 is really how I compose and see things. And I had the wide angle, the, the conversion lens. Yeah, it, just, right, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't the same because it was like a little bit bigger. Yep. Um, that's why I'm really just trying to lean into the X70 right now because it it checks all those boxes. And sure, it's not an F2. Sure, it doesn't have the most updated things, but I, I feel like I can bridge the gap uh, with with my vision and kind of like my skill set to kind of offset that a little bit. Let's come full circle to the X70. <laughs> um, For sure. That is a camera that everybody regrets that doesn't have an, uh, a successor. Yes. Yeah. It is. It was a camera that just, just didn't get a fair shake. It came at the worst possible time when, what was it? The, 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 the sensors for the X70 were uh, like just immediately discontinued or something by Sony. Mm. Yeah, and a bunch of other factors. Uh, I suppose sales were a factor, but yeah. um, But my God, that was the first Fuji camera that had the Leica effect, where it just became more and more in value. Yeah, it it costs more than its um, what it was. Its MSRP, I think, was like six hundred, seven hundred dollars when it came out. Probably six hundred. I thought it was like four hundred. Even that, I, I think right now it goes for like nine hundred, nine hundred, eight hundred dollars. It, it's it's a lot. Um, so I think 
you know, I, I would hope that they're able to kind of figure something out to, to create a camera like that, even if it's more point and shoot style, because the Rico GRs are well positioned. And I think Fujifilm can make something that very close to it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel yeah. like it's not too far off. Um, and it, it would be a great time to do it. But I honestly think if it does, if there is a XA80 or whatever it's called, the one thing that you and I already talked about doesn't have the X-Trans 2 sensor, though. <laughs> and yeah. that's the one thing that's going to be like, well, it's going to have that punchier thing. I think the, the the one reason why I would like it, though, is because if there was an X80 that had the little IBIS unit that they put in the XS20 and the XH or XC5, like the little, the, and whatever they're going to put in this new successor, and it also has log and it doesn't have the autofocus noise, like that would be the perfect camera to like take photos and also turn around and film yourself because 35 is just a little bit too tight to do that. Yep. But a 28 would be depending on how long your arm is like you could almost get that. So I think that's what I would use it for is to be like the perfect hybrid everyday camera. Cause on the Rico, the, the video, camera? what's up? Would all that stuff even be able to fit in that camera? Ibis and that, that I don't know. I mean, if it doesn't have Ibis, I would be okay with that. As long as the autofocus noise doesn't get picked up. Yeah. I tried I tried doing video with the X70 and you can hear like doo, 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 doo. yes like, <laughs> it's 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 obnoxious but um on the Ricos the video is I have not even tried the video like at all I've heard it's not very good it's a uh, stop motion animation <laughs> yeah uh but I I really think that the XC4 was the spiritual successor for the X X80. Oh, 100 percent Yeah. Especially even with the, the screen itself. Yeah. Um, which is very obvious that that was, that was, yeah. Now that I think about it, the, the dial setup was actually exactly the same as well. Yep. Just not quite it. But, uh, nice try. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they'll, 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 they'll do an X80. We could, we, we could dream. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I, I I'm looking forward to the X the new X100. It's it's going to be, uh, it's going to be sweet. I just want the updated film sims. I uh, I'm okay with three uh, the the Riala film sim. Mm -hmm. Have you been? Have you tried that yet? I have not. Is that the one that was on the GFX? Yeah, the, the new one. Yeah, I have not tried it. Um, oh, I I've only had it like I only tried it one time because somebody. And the camera meet handed me the camera. It's like, you should try it. Like, and I was like, okay, <laughs> but I, 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 yeah, I have not, I'm like a hundred percent on this classic Chrome forever and always. I think once I, once I set it up the way that I like, I haven't even felt the need to try a different one. Really classic Chrome. Have you tried nostalgic neg? Yes. So I think that was, that's something that a lot of people ask me about, um, if I like that particular film simulation. And I think for me, because uh, I'm Filipino, when I photograph either myself or my family with it, it's a little bit too orange and I can't gotcha. like, dial it out without affecting everything else. So classic Chrome for some reason is able to, I'm able to figure out a, a way to dial in the skin tones for that. Um, so it just, I think it just depends on, 
yeah, like skin tone. And then um, for me, just the warmth. Um, that's the one thing that I've honed my eye very closely through editing hundreds of thousands of wedding photographs, just dialing in the white balance. Like th- that's where I'm very sensitive to. Yeah. I hear you. That makes sense. I got to get back into classic Chrome. I, I think I've been away from it for far too long, <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. Um, dude, super awesome talking to you. Uh, we're going to have to have a part two at some point. Um, <laughs> sure. And just uh, for, for the listeners uh, on, on my side of the world, it's super late. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Appreciate but, uh, you staying up to pass so that I could put my kids to sleep. Yeah. Oh, dude, my pleasure. It was super yeah. fun talking to you. Um, where, where, where can people find your work on the web? The best and easiest place to go is if you go on my Instagram, Instagram.com slash Reggie B photo. That's where you can find everything. Uh, I'm posting little short form tutorials, um, photos, all that good stuff. Any announcements on my Instagram store. You can also go to um, Reggie B. Uh, did I buy this? Let me double check. <laughs> I think I finally, I think I finally got the, the URL, but I don't remember. Oh yeah. So you could go to reggiebphoto.com uh, for my website, for my portfolio you can see a lot of my old wedding work and all that stuff and those also the the infamous lego portraits they're on there so if you want to check those out and then on my youtube channel uh, also youtube.com slash reggie photo and everybody should subscribe to you your 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 videos are awesome your film simulations are freaking incredible um everybody should give it a try uh because you won't be disappointed especially in the 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 Reggie Portra uh that that is that is a keeper that that yeah. already has a I I removed a, a Sinistil recipe <laughs> replaced it with yours <laughs> nice so it's it's super awesome but man awesome to have you on the show and uh yeah we'll 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 have to chat soon yeah th- thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope to see you back next week. I wanted to also mention one more time that this is brought to you by Fujilove Magazine. For the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm X-Series and GFX, head on over to fujilove.com. Subscribe today. And my name is Mark Sadowski. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter. Mostly Instagram, though. I'm at Mark Sadowski. That's Mark with a C. And you can also check out my other podcast, Xmark. It's a Fujifilm-esque kind of show, where it's more spice of life and pretty infrequent. But if you want more of my voice, that's the place to check it out. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.